Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of Locked in Science. This is 30 minutes of science coming from our houses where we are um, still currently recording this show straight into your ear holes. My name is Claire and this week on the show we have two non-coronavirus, non-COVID-19 related stories to get your mind off other things because you know um, you know, things are heating up in Victoria at the moment but there are a lot of other things to think about and learn about, right? Chris, Stu, am I right? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Um, Especially when it comes to science. So, Stu, what do you have for us today? Well, it's not COVID related, but it is health related. And one of the one of the things that that, you know, swirls around the peripheries of science is the wellness industry. And uh, they seem to sort of grab onto whatever cool sounding thing they can and blame that thing for you know, any any number of a range of, you know, ailments and chronic illnesses, you know, which nobody really has cures for in a lot of cases. And one of the ones that's come up recently is MTHFR gene variants and the oh, testing for those. That sounds fairly technical. Mm. Well, it does sound technical. And I think that's how they sort of suck people in because when they start talking about um, enzymes and amino acids... People who don't really have a grasp on science think that, well, they must know what they're talking about, so we'll take their word for it that this is an important thing. Um, And so I've been coming across some of this stuff sort of floating around, and I wanted to have a look at what exactly is the MTHFR gene, Ah. what does it do, and and should you get tested for it? Short answer is no, don't worry about it. (laughs) A little bit of an inquiry into some um, science washing in the marketing, is it? Yeah, I'm glad you're covering that because I I have seen this MTHFR stuff and I my brain always reads it wrong, so I am glad uh, I... that you are going to put uh, some good sides on this. Are, are you reading it as I'm reading it as something that Samuel L. Jackson would say? Yeah, pretty much, yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah. It's Great. not just me then. <laughs> and Chris. Uh, what do you have for us this week? What non-COVID related story are you um, going to bring us? Well, yeah, thanks, Claire. Um, yeah, look, this is non-COVID because, um, yes, the world has obviously been busy ending with uh, COVID-19, but the regularly scheduled apocalypse has still been ongoing. Um, specifically, I'm talking about effects of climate change and that yes. sort of thing. Um, do you remember how the year started? started with catastrophic bushfires throughout most of Australia. That's correct. Now, I mean, obviously, now it is winter, the seasons are reversed, which means it's the Northern Hemisphere's turn. Uh, and yeah, there are some some big fires burning in the Northern Hemisphere. These ones are in the Arctic Circle. That uh, is not a place I was expecting you to say. No, no. So I'm going to have a look at why the the Arctic is so hot at the moment because it's experiencing an extreme heat wave 
and what's going on there and yeah what it means i guess for the rest of the planet well stay with us and on with the show Now, if I say methylene tetrahydrofolate reductase to you, uh, now what's I, the first thing that pops into your head? Well, obviously, I would be um, turning off the radio because I've got no idea what you're talking about. Well, most people wouldn't. So <laughs> it's, it's a very technical name. Well, it is the technical name for a particular enzyme. Um, and it's an enzyme that most people's bodies produce. Um, an enzyme being a protein that does a specific job, in this case to do with amino acids. So the abbreviation of this enzyme uh, is MTHFR. And as I said before, if you read that written down, you may have swearing pop into your head, but um, it does actually stand for methylene tetrahydrofolate reductase. But um, we all have a gene that codes for this MTHFR enzyme. It changes an amino acid called homocysteine into another amino acid, methionine. So a single gene codes for this single enzyme. Are we all following this deep, deep biology yep. lesson here? Yep, great. Makes sense, yeah. So homocysteine is a common amino acid in the bloodstream. Um, we've all pretty much got some all the time. But too much of it can cause damage to the lining of blood vessels and also lead to excessive blood clotting, which is generally regarded as a bad thing. Um, when blood clots and it's not needed to be clotting, that's not a good thing, uh, especially if it's happening in your bloodstream, causes all sorts of problems. So luckily, we have our own supply of this particular enzyme, the MTHFR enzyme, which converts excess homocysteine into methionine, which doesn't damage blood vessels or cause blood clotting. So solves the problem on board. Don't have to worry about it. Now, some people have elevated levels of homocysteine because of underlying health conditions, such as B vitamin deficiencies, can cause this problem, certain types of kidney disease, things like psoriasis, and even some medications can cause you to have elevated levels of this amino acid. It's easy to measure. You basically go get a blood test, they measure how much homocysteine you have, and if they can, if, if it's been caused by another problem with, you know, maybe you've got uh, kidney disease or something like that, they can focus on that. But otherwise, um, we can just drop it back to uh, more normal, more average levels, and the problem is solved. The easiest way to do that is to increase your dietary intake of a vitamin called folate. And you've probably seen, if you've you know bought breakfast cereal in the last 20 years, uh, probably even longer, that a lot of breakfast cereals are fortified with folate. Mm. Um, and basically that that just helps people keep their homocysteine levels under control. Um, added to a lot of other foods as well, which are fortified in that way. But it's also just present in leafy greens and in foods like beans. So all of your beans and lentils and, and pulses and all of those have high levels of folate 
if you keep up a reasonable level of those in your diet, you don't have to worry about it anyway. But like a lot of human genes, there are a range of variations in the gene that codes for MTHFR. Most of those variations don't do anything. So you get a variation, they lead to a difference in how the gene is expressed or how the enzyme functions within the body. They're not drastic mutations, they're just slight variations, and they're not harmful in any way for the vast majority of them. Um, and they're not you know, particularly beneficial either, so they're just sort of sitting there. They're not measurably making any difference to most people. But so just like kind of MTH, natural variation. That's right. Within the, within a population of you know seven billion people, it's not surprising that there are some variations in in the versions of the genes that we have. It's pretty much a standard thing in every gene. The reason the MTHFR gene has got a lot of attention is that back in 2012, a paper was published that identified a specific and incredibly rare condition. Um, which relates to issues related to pregnancy and babies born with neural tube defects when the mother had two copies of a particular variant of the MTHFR gene. So they identified a causal relationship with this extremely rare condition that was related to the MTHFR gene. What they didn't find was that it was actually a result of mm. that variation. It's just uh, that was a correlation between the presence of those two copies of the same version of that gene and the neural tube defects in the babies. So it was, you know, incredibly rare. What we're talking about when they're, when they're talking rare is something like one in 200,000 people might have those two copies of that variant of that gene. So it's extraordinarily rare. And this paper led a lot of people to worrying that this kind of genetic variation of this gene was a huge risk or much bigger risk than what it actually is in the population. So, and the reason that it is, you know, sort of blown out of proportion is that if a pregnant woman is found to have this extremely rare combination of variants in the MTHFR gene, they can test for it by testing her levels of homocysteine, which is something that they do routinely when you go in and you find out you're pregnant. They say, we'll take some blood tests. And that's one of the things they routinely test for. And if you've got high levels of homocysteine, they, get, they give you increased folate intake in your diet is what you do to solve it. And it's solved. It's not an ongoing issue if you talk to a doctor and they'll say, oh yeah, your homocysteine levels are up, eat some more breakfast cereal or leafy greens or eat right. some beans or whatever it is you might do to solve it. We know how to solve it. But what we have found is that with a lot of health issues that affect a tiny fraction of people, some people latch onto those, those health risks as if they're much, much bigger than they are. The relative risk in this case is very, very low. The absolute risk is even lower because so few people are going to get it that, you know, or have this actual issue. It's really not likely to cause any problems directly for these people. But as I mentioned in the intro, within the wellness industry, 
there are a lot of people who are you know trying to find an angle to market their business or market their solutions for problems that people don't actually have or which i think is a lot worse is marketing for problems that people do actually have but for which there's no real cure for so they get to blame something like mthfr gene variation or some other gene variation and say hey i've got the solution to that go on my special diet or take my special supplements or you know do this or do that and it will make you feel better in actual fact we already know how to solve the issues related to mthfr uh, variations and it basically is take more b vitamins and the problems that it causes go away so you don't really have to get a genetic test to figure out if you've got a different variation you can just get a blood normal blood test and find out even if you did get a genetic test and find that you did have one of these variations you can't change your genes anyway so there's not really any point in going to all that trouble and going to the hassle of you know getting a gene test done for something which you can't really um, change and for which the outcome is very easily fixed so look Blood tests are faster and cheaper and more accurate in detecting these problems than gene testing. And as I said, knowing someone has a particular version of this gene doesn't even change the treatment. If you know you've got this gene, keep your folate levels up. If you don't know you've got this gene, hey, why not keep your folate levels up anyway? Because, you know, yeah. who doesn't like beans and leafy greens anyway? What I really did find a bit worrying more recently was that people are trying to link these kind of things to you know things like autism and chronic illness and all these other things which there's really no evidence for there was some evidence early on in some studies where they found correlations with mthfr variation and things like stroke and heart disease and things like that but since then they've they've put together better studies which have found there is no link between the mthfr variations and stroke or heart disease or heart attack or any of those things so it's one of those things where you can find a, an idea for a hypothesis and then when you go in and do the actual research you find oh no actually that was something else it was just a confounding factor it was caused by something else so i think you know at the moment this seems to be um, a bit of a fad the fact that i think chris you said you'd you'd heard of the name the mthfr gene before and you know it's sort of popping up in places where it really doesn't have much relevance um, but i think at the moment it's just another fad where some less than scrupulous people are trying to make money scaring people into thinking they're ill mm. when they aren't and offering solutions to problems they probably don't have Yes, you're listening to Locked in Science. And here, uh, while it is winter in the Southern Hemisphere, it is, of course, summer in the Northern Hemisphere, and they are experiencing their own extreme heat events, like we had our turn um, a few months ago. Now, the um, as we discussed, the big event for us was the the Black Summer bushfires, as they're calling it, which is something like 18.6 million hectares burnt. 
which was a huge effect. And I think for a lot of people, particularly in Australia and around the world, showed some of the extreme effects of climate change or what the future we had to look forward to. But yeah, now there are some similar dramatic effects being seen in the Northern Hemisphere, particularly in the Arctic, where it is, you would normally expect to be quite cold. I don't know about you. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. Yeah, it is, it is definitely part of the world where I think, you know, if someone mentions the Arctic, I think, wow, that sounds really cold. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, every time I feel a cool breeze, I'm like, ooh, that's a bit arctic an arctic chill exactly it's a bit of an arctic chill it's not something yeah. you normally refer to when you feel something warm or no. well there is currently a heat wave underway in in parts of the arctic particularly in siberia in russia there was recently a record arctic temperature uh, that's north of the arctic circle of 38 degrees celsius 38 um, degrees in the arctic yes now this is um. notable obviously for a number of reasons. Um, one of them that it, that it got um, a lot of headlines because that works out at about 100 degrees Fahrenheit. So for people in such countries where they use Fahrenheit, they're going, oh, it's 100 degrees in the Arctic. Sounds like a big thing. Uh, another thing is that the this was in the Russian town of Verkhoyansk. I'm probably pronouncing that wrong, apologies. And this temperature is 18 degrees Celsius warmer than its daily average for June, normally. It's also notable because the town of Verkoyansk is listed as one of the northern poles of cold, as in being on record for having the coldest temperature in the world. So, so we don't expect them to have also, you know, among the hottest temperatures as well. No. That's, that's pretty unusual. Um, Verkoyansk had its lowest accurately recorded temperature of negative 67.6 degrees celsius oh, back wow. in february 1892 <gasps> celsius yeah oh, i yes. thought you were going to say fahrenheit for a second and yeah, yeah that that is cold <laughs> so yeah like this is pretty hot and also this was um this of course not only is this hot but this um high temperatures are being accompanied by what they're calling zombie fires of oh burning God. peat um now also the peat is on fire yes and they're quite significant themselves i said that the um the al bushfires were 18.6 million hectares this is a lot smaller than that the the latest report said that 1.37 million hectares were burning that's still a lot of hectares it's is quite large when you consider where it is in the world so of course look a lot of this you know, we can point. We can look at the result. You know, the effects of climate change on this. Um, it is known that generally the Arctic is heating twice as fast as the rest of the world. Um, and the main reason for this is because normally the Arctic is covered in snow and ice. And snow oh, is, is this. Is this the albedo effect? It is the albedo mm. effect, Stu. Yeah. So yes, albedo <laughs> is is all about. Uh, how much radiation is reflected back out into space, a solar radiation it is, rather than being absorbed. So snow is particularly good at reflecting. Apparently about 85% of the radiation is reflected back out into space. Whereas the ocean, the open ocean, which is what you get when you remove the ice from the Arctic Sea, reflects only about 10% of radiation. So it's a very big difference. And so you remove that ice and you get much greater warming. And so it is accelerated. 
But look, this is, um, I mean, the other thing we have to consider here, though, is weather. And there's always this kind of thing of how you connect particular weather events to climate change. So the, um, but there is a lot of, there is a lot of research saying that this, the heat wave that is currently being experienced can be affected by climate change. So the weather in those northern latitudes is driven a lot by the jet stream, which I don't know if you know much about the jet stream, but it is essentially a ribbon of air that flows west to east. And it's caused by there being temperature differences between the poles and the tropics. So essentially air is pulled up from the tropics towards the poles and it is bent towards the east as it does so and then flows in this kind of stream. Mm. Um, and it is responsible for a lot of the weather in those northern latitudes. It kind of meanders across, it doesn't go in a straight line. Um, and the more it meanders though, the more kind of weird weather you get. And so one of the theories is that as the poles are warming, then you are kind of weakening the effect of the strong jet stream and so it meanders more and so we get it trapping weather systems in little kind of loops such as you know a heat wave in one particular um one particular location so look that's kind of possibly what's going on for these particular high temperatures the zombie fires on the other hand yeah they were um they're called zombie fires because they were fires that were there last summer um and have essentially stayed lit over winter so there's when the peat is on fire it kind of it's very hard to put out it sort of smolders there it can smolder below the snow and then once it warms up again the fires just reignite um, last summer apparently um, about 2.6 million hectares burnt so it's still not at that scale of that yet but it is that kind of yeah that, that annual effect and it's very hard to, to solve so this is all tied into like the permafrost which is the where the soil is permanently frozen, normally meant to be permanently frozen year round, but things are changing, of course, as stuff warms up. Now, the permafrost contains a lot of organic matter, like the peat, like uh, methane that's stored in there. Um, there is, it's recently been estimated to contain twice as much carbon as there is in the atmosphere. So there's a significant amount of carbon locked up in this permafrost. So the permafrost sits underneath the peat and it is also burning the peat is part of the soil it's in the soil and mm -hmm. the permafrost is the frozen soil so the peat is part of that whole kind of okay so the peat's called. part of the permafrost yeah but contained within all that permafrost is all you pretty much greenhouse gases that aren't being let out into yeah the atmosphere but now, now they are for a long time people were very scared of this because the idea being that there is, say, a lot of methane trapped in, yeah. uh, in the permafrost. And the worry was that you would reach a point where all the methane is released. Um, methane is a stronger greenhouse gas and carbon dioxide. And that essentially you would get thousands and thousands of years of methane suddenly released into the atmosphere and drive us, drive us to catastrophic warming and kind of a tipping point. Fortunately, people aren't as worried about that anymore. There's been a lot of work done looking at trying to calculate exactly how much methane could be released. Also looking at past climate change events and seeing how much methane was released during those and showing that this really long, ancient, locked up methane doesn't make a huge contribution to, um, to climate change. Certainly not as much as what we're doing ourselves by our normal emissions from pollution. 
Um, but does still, it like, does still release methane from, you know, accumulated over centuries rather millennia. And these large fires are, of course, releasing carbon dioxide into the atmosphere. And, you know, we're in a situation where we know that we need to reduce our emissions to keep uh, warming at safe levels. Uh, anything like this eats into our carbon budget and makes the, the job that much harder. But yeah, look, I mean, aside from all these damaging aspects, changes to the ecosystem, of course, come about due to the warming climate. Uh, you have vegetation changing, you get different plants growing, like more woody shrubs rather than the, the low kind of tundra vegetation. That changes which animals are able to thrive. And you have species like caribou, which apparently prefer the cold weather. And so they escape from the heat uh, into areas where they're in there is less food for them to, to actually eat. So they don't do so well. Um, reindeer apparently can sometimes do badly in this situation. In 2013, there was an event where uh, many reindeer starved because there was sudden thawing and then refreezing of uh, rainwater that then left all their food plants frozen under layers of ice. So there's all these kind of little different events that, that could go on. Um, there can be some winners, of course, as well as other animals move into, other species move into these uh, ecosystems. But we don't know what the effect of that is going to be either. So, for instance, um, I think in northern Canada, beavers are making their way further north. Beavers, of course, do their own kind of things to the ecosystem. They dam up rivers, and so they change the environment. And so it's still now being studied of what effect, say, beavers moving into areas where they weren't before is going to have on the, right. on the ecosystem. There's a lot going on locally, and there is a lot of impact on the world. As I said, there is the, um, the carbon emissions from the from things like the fires, um, these changes to the jet stream, they affect weather throughout the Northern Hemisphere. And then of course, as the Arctic heats, you get the ice melting, you get rising sea levels due to things like the Greenland ice sheet melting. So it's not good news for us, definitely. Um, and this is one of the reasons I guess why, you know, we're in a particular time where we've seen, for instance, um, emissions dropping due to the current COVID-19 pandemic and there's been a lot of talk about how we should be aiming for a green economic recovery as a result of that like it's just purely the economic impact has led to reduced emissions um, we know that economies are kind of come bouncing back and it's kind of a time for us to reset things and maybe um, look at our future industries rather than just restarting the same polluting industries I guess different um, politicians have different priorities in these areas though so you know, we'll see what is what's going to happen. I suppose the worry is that some of this warming that, like we're seeing in the Arctic, is already locked in, and it's going to take drastic changes to um, to make a, a sizable impact to reduce what's already happening. That's another episode of Locked in Science. Thank you, Stu. Thank you, Chris. 
Locked In Science is normally recorded in the studios of 3CR on the lands of the Kulin Nation, um, but right now is recorded in our houses. Locked In Science is recorded with the support of the Community Broadcasting Foundation and broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. Um, please get in touch with us. We would love to hear from you. We are. You can find us at lostinsight.gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter, we are Lost in Science 1, or on Facebook, we are Lost in Science on 3CR. Or just tune in again next week to hear Chris, Stu, and Claire get lost, lost in, in science! science. Thanks for listening to a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online.